we thank you that you have made known to us your word and who you are. That you have revealed to us that Jesus Christ is Lord. God, I pray that we would all have hearts to listen as we open up your word, as we hear the words of Jesus. May our hearts be humble and moldable in your hands. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we are doing this sermon series in the book of Revelation. We're still in chapter 3. We've been taking our time going through chapters 2 through 3 because in those chapters we have the messages to the seven churches. We've just been taking them one Sunday at a time. And uh, yeah, we're in the middle of chapter 3 today. And at the, each, at, at the end of each of the seven messages to the seven churches, it says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So even the original first hearers of these messages, they weren't just supposed to listen to the message that was addressed to them. They were supposed to listen to all seven messages. And it's the same for us. We're supposed to listen to all seven of these messages to hear what God tells us about people in churches in various situations. And I think it's important because uh, these seven churches exemplify different places that a church could find themselves at any time. So whatever it is the Spirit would say to us, I hope and pray that we will listen. Now, the message in our passage today is to the church in Philadelphia. Not Philadelphia in America. No, that would not make any sense. Uh, 2,000 years ago, this was to the church in Philadelphia in what is now modern-day Turkey. All seven churches uh, can be found in modern-day Turkey, although you can't really find them because there's just the ruins of those cities. Um, But Philadelphia is one of two churches, along with Smyrna, of which nothing negative is said about them. But similar to Smyrna, there was a lot of persecution. So I find that pretty interesting. The two churches of which nothing negative was said, there was a lot of persecution there. In both places it says that they faced opposition from what was called the synagogue of Satan. People who claimed to be Jews, but really they were persecuting people who were following Jesus. And in Philadelphia, that persecution took its toll. Now, like I said, there's nothing negative that's said about them, but it does say that they only have a little strength. So apparently what had happened was they were walking with Jesus in the midst of persecution, but their their strength was a little bit sapped because of this persecution that they were facing. So the message from Jesus to the people of the church in Philadelphia was meant to be an encouragement to them a reminder for them to remain strong in their faith. And it's a good example for us, a good reminder for us, because we all go through difficulties in life. We all go through things that we may wish that we didn't have to go through. But God's message for us in those difficult times would be that we fix our eyes on Jesus and remain in the faith, trusting that God will give us the strength that we need. So, (coughs) excuse me, So what can we do in those difficult times? Well, that's a decent question. What what can we do? And and certainly we should do our part. Certainly we should uh, use the resources that God has given us to walk by faith. But perhaps more important is to remember what God can do for us in those difficult times. So let's read our passage and see what we can learn about continuing to walk with Jesus even in difficult circumstances. We're in Revelation 3, and I'll be reading verses 7 through 13. To the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, 
These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars, I will make them come down and fall down at Make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. Since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come upon the whole world to test those who live on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. Him who overcomes, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will he leave it. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on him my new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So as in all the messages to the seven churches, all of the words that we see today are from Jesus. Did did you know that? I've said it a few times here, but everything we see in chapters 2 and 3 are words from Jesus. And here, Jesus is said to be holy and true in verse 7. And it also says that he holds the key of David. Now, the key of David is probably best understood as the key which allows people to enter into God's presence. So it's a symbolic key that uh, allows people to be with God. And that's the goal of our faith anyways, to be with God. And isn't it great then that what Jesus opens, no one can shut? If he opens that door to fellowship with himself, nobody can shut that door. Now, the converse is true and uh, very harsh as well, that if Jesus shuts the door, then no one can open it. No matter how hard you beg or try, if that door is shut, it will not be open. <coughs> But for the people in the church of Philadelphia, the door is open. And in verse 8, Jesus says, I know your deeds. In all seven messages to the seven churches, Jesus is said to know exactly what is going on. He knew what was going on in Philadelphia, and what he saw was that even though they had just a little strength, that they were walking by faith. And as such, the door was open for them. The door for fellowship with Jesus is open as a gift for those who would walk with him by faith. And then I love what we see in the second half of verse 8. He says, I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Isn't this great that, again, only two of the churches in in these seven messages were applauded. There, There was nothing negative said about them. And for the people in Philadelphia, they were not applauded because they had great strength. In fact, the opposite. They only had a little strength. But they were applauded because they kept the word of Jesus and did not deny his name. They used what little strength they had to cling to Jesus. When times are tough for us, it can be easy for us to pick our own way. We've been talking a lot about this in in my house, uh, the fact that there are, are only two paths. Now, it might seem like there are an infinite number of paths because there are so many choices that we can make in this world. But really, when it all boils down, there are only two paths. There's the one that Jesus has for us, and there's any other path. When it goes difficult for us, 
it becomes very easy for us to want to pick our own path. But that's not what these people did in the Church of Philadelphia. When times were tough, they used what little strength they had to cling to Jesus. And let this be a reminder to us. If we use whatever strength we have to hold on to Jesus, that is a very powerful thing. It reminds me of the song, Jesus Loves Me. Remember that line in there? They are weak, but he is strong. Uh, Sometimes our theology doesn't need to be more difficult than that. In fact, in difficult times, that's about as good as we can do. They are weak, but he is strong. If any of you feel weak right now, I want you to be encouraged by this. You take whatever strength you have in it, and apparently, from this passage, the way I get it, is that it doesn't matter how much strength you have. What matters is simply that you go to God and trust him to be strong for you. And that's where the power is for our life. So this is refreshing. We've been talking a lot about some difficult things, a lot of sin that we've seen in these seven churches. We've seen unfaithfulness and people taking the wrong path. And it's not just in these seven churches that we see it. We see it in our day and age too. But here in Philadelphia, in the midst of really difficult stuff, the people clung to Jesus. So let's just stop here by way of application just to make sure you get this. Regardless of what is going on in your life or how much strength you have, keep walking with Jesus. That will be life and victory for you. Not because of your strength, but because of the strength of God to sustain you. You will be tempted not to. You may see the circumstances around you and consider going a different way. You may get discouraged at what little strength you have. But again, it's not about how much strength you have. It's about using whatever strength you have to cling to Jesus. And when we do that, Jesus strengthens us. Okay, let's move on to verse 9. In that verse, Jesus has a word regarding the people who were persecuting his followers. And although these persecutors were experiencing what they might have thought for themselves was a time of strength, Jesus tells them that eventually they are going to be humbled. They will be forced to come before the feet of Jesus' followers. And isn't it interesting what Jesus tells them that they will have to acknowledge when they come before the feet of the people that they have been persecuting? They're going to have to acknowledge that Jesus loved the people that they were persecuting. Can you imagine how humbling that will be? Um, Jesus told us to expect in this world that we would be persecuted. He even told his followers of a time, uh, I, I believe it's in, it was in John, I think it's chapter 16, he warned his followers that, that at some time people would persecute them and think that they were doing God a favor. As if to say, God, we see these people here who are worshiping Jesus, so we're going to just get them out of your way. Jesus told his followers to expect that. But what does it say happens to those kind of persecutors? They're going to see the real truth eventually. Now, this kind of persecution, uh, we may not face it very much here in America. Praise the Lord. We, we live in a place where we are free to come here and worship. But I know you know that in other places in the world, it's not like this. In, in other places in the world, in some places, you don't just walk into a church on Sunday morning and freely throw your hands up in the air and worship Um, there are some places in the world where you can be persecuted simply for following the name of Jesus Christ. But let me say two quick things about that. First, we should keep following Jesus anyways. 
regardless of what happens around us. We know that it's, it's silly to flee from Jesus just because of persecution. That's, that's a very short-sighted view of our lives. When we have all eternity to look forward to, we know that we can endure persecution in the strength that God will give us for this short time. And then second, eventually, every person who has ever lived will finally come to understand that Jesus is Lord. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that every person will be saved, but I am saying that every person will one day recognize that Jesus is Lord. And for those who have been living in rebellion against him their whole lives, they will at that moment realize how foolish their rebellion against him was. We see that here. Uh, there are a couple other places in Scripture where we see it. One of them is Isaiah 45:14. There's actually three places in Isaiah where we see the nations coming before God's people and acknowledging that they were right. One of those is Isaiah 45:15. It's talking about the Sabians. It says of them that they're going to say these words. Surely God is with you and there is no other. There is no other God. And then it reminds me of another passage in Philippians. Uh, Philippians chapter 2 is just a wonderful passage. If you're looking for a homework assignment today, you might want to read Philippians 2, 1 through 11. A great passage on how we should live our lives, not just thinking about ourselves, but having the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. And what was his attitude? He came as a servant. And it's amazing that Jesus humbled himself, became a man, and then humbled himself even lower to the point of death for us. And what did God do? When Jesus humbled himself, the Father exalted Jesus and gave him the name that is above every name. That's why we just sang that song, exalting Jesus, the name above all names, because that's the name the Father has given to him. And then that passage ends by saying in Philippians 2, 10 through 11, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That is where every single person that you have ever met is headed. Isn't that amazing that so many people right now do not acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, but one day, whether of their own free will in submission and worship to him, or whether they are forced to do it because of the supreme authority, one day everyone will acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. I suggest we humbly submit right now. I suggest that we disregard what the world would say about Jesus and that we rightly confess him as Lord and live our lives accordingly. Okay, um, let's get back to Revelation 3. We're going to go on to verse 10 now. In that verse, it shows us that the people of the church in Philadelphia endured patiently. Now, that word for endure is an important word in the Bible. It's a compound word in Greek that literally means to remain under. The idea is that God has a load for us to carry. His burden is easy and his yoke is light, but it is a burden nonetheless. And whatever burden he has for us, we are to remain under. Now, I'm not trying to suggest that we should add burdens onto ourselves and then pretend that we you know, are just enduring that burden. I, I don't think it's right for us to place a burden on ourselves. We, we simply need to accept the burden that God has for us. But what we're supposed to do, then, is to remain under. Again, that's what the word means, to remain under what God has for us. It means that we trust that God will give us the strength for whatever he has for us. 
Difficult things will come our way. The best way to face them is in the strength that God will give. And we know that he can help us to endure patiently. And back in verse 8, we saw something that can help us endure. God's word. In verse 8, the people of the church in Philadelphia were applauded for keeping the word of Jesus, even in difficult times. God's word will strengthen us. And if we are committed to meeting with God in his word, if we are committed to hearing from him, then we also believe that he will strengthen us for whatever he has for us. And as I said earlier, the real power isn't in our strength, it's in the strength that God gives us as we trust in him and as we submit to him. And one of the best ways that I have found to show God that I trust in him is to meet regularly with him in his word. Now, I've I've said that a lot here over the last eight or nine years at Cornerstone. I'm going to say it again. One One of the best ways that I have found to show God that I'm serious about walking with him by faith is by regularly and humbly putting myself before an open Bible, not just reading it, but reading it with an attitude of saying, God, I will live my life according to whatever you reveal to me. So I want to urge you to do that as well. I want to urge you to be regular and humble in opening up God's word. And and I just think that's an act of worship. Um, So often in Revelation, it stops, all the action stops, and there's nothing but worship. And I think our act of opening up the Bible can be like that, a time where we stop and worship God. We worship him by not just eyes reading words on a page, but by our hearts submitting to God, allowing him to have full reign in our life, submitting to him. Um, So application here, again, just very simply, so you don't miss it. Are you keeping God's word? And are you making time to get to know his word? And we should probably add to that, not just are you making time to to look at it, but is your heart engaging with God as you meet with him in his word? I just highly recommend that we all get in the habit of meeting with God in his word. And there's lots of ways that we can do that. One, like I've mentioned, is by regular time, just alone yourself, what we might call a quiet time or a devotional time. But other ways that we can make sure that we're holding on to God's word is by doing what we're doing here, worshiping together and opening up God's word to see what he has for us or being a regular part of a Bible study, which, by the way, we have Bible studies going on here at Cornerstone. We'd love to have you join them. Come and talk to me if you're interested in joining one of them. Jesus prayed for all of his, all of his followers, including us, in John 17, 17. It's becoming one of my favorite verses. <clears throat> by the way, who's keeping track of every time I say it's one of my favorite verses? I want you to give me that list. Um, but John 17, 17, Jesus prayed that we would be made holy and he prayed that that would happen by the word of God. So think about that. This is the night before Jesus was crucified. He was praying for his followers, praying that we would be made more holy and he prayed that that would happen by God's word. Our goal is Christ-likeness, holiness, becoming more and more like Jesus Christ. And Jesus himself said that that would happen according to God's word. So let's get to know it and be humble and keep it. Okay, moving on into verse 10. Um, Because the people of the church in Philadelphia kept the command of Jesus, he said that he would keep them from the hour of trial. 
Now, this is one of the most theologically debated verses in Revelation. Um, and I don't just want to skim over it and pretend it's not there. So I, I do want to address the debate here, but let me just say right off the bat that this is not a debate that needs to separate us, okay? This is one of those debates that I would say falls in the category of non-essential. This is one that we are free to disagree on within our church, okay? Um, <clears throat> the debate over this verse has to do with whether God will rapture his people before or after the tribulation in the end times, okay? So... Uh, I'm guessing most of you are somewhat familiar with those terms, but rapture is when God takes his people to be with him. Tribulation is the end times um, in Revelation the, where God's wrath is poured out on the world. So the question is, does God take out his people before the tribulation or does he take them out after the tribulation? Some people, holding to what is called a pre-tribulational rapture position, meaning that the rapture comes before the tribulation, see in this verse a promise that God will keep his faithful people out of that tribulation. Now, to be clear, they're not saying that, that Christians shouldn't expect any kind of suffering. No, they, they fully acknowledge that, that Christians should expect suffering. It's just that in regard to this terrible suffering at the end, that they say that from this verse, God will take his people out before that tribulation comes. Other people holding to what is called a post-tribulational rapture position, meaning that the rapture happens after the tribulation, say that God's protection in verse 10 isn't about removing people from the tribulation, but rather protecting them within the tribulation. And it's the same kind of protection then that Jesus prayed for in John 17:15 when he said, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. So in that verse in John, God's protection happens in the midst of trouble. Okay, so allow me to use an analogy here to explain what I just said. If there's a storm coming, there are two ways that you could be kept safe from it. One is that you could just avoid the storm. If you see it coming, you go somewhere else, and then you're safe. Or the second way is that you take shelter in the midst of the storm. And if your shelter is good, then you'll be safe. And for us, we know that our shelter, God, is very good, so we are kept safe. Actually, I was talking about this with my kids last night, and I think it was Lydia who said, there's another way to be safe in a storm. It's if you're with God. <laughs> like, okay, great. That's Yes, uh, you got it. Use the trump card there on me. Way to go, Lydia. Um, the theologian Grant Osborne was talking about God's protection, and I, I, like, I like how he said it. He said that there are, there are two kinds of, of difficulty that people of this world will face. One of them is that God's people will face persecution from enemies. And remember, Jesus told us to expect that. So that, we're not removed from that difficulty, although if it comes to the worst and we die, it's not really the worst because we get to be with God then. So, so that's one kind of difficulty, the difficulty that our enemies can bring upon us. But the other kind of difficulty is one that will never touch us because God's wrath will not fall on his children. You see, uh, a lot of what Revelation talks about is the wrath of God poured out on his enemies. And God's people will not have to face his wrath. Yes, we may have to face some of the storm that comes, but ultimately, in God, whether he removes us before it happens or whether he protects us in it, we know that God's people will be kept safe, eternally speaking, in his hands. 
So all that to say, I don't think there needs to be that much debate on verse 10, because whether God is rapturing his people before the tribulation or keeping them safe within it, either way, God is protecting his children. And, and I would say that actually both a pre-tribulational rapture view and a post-tribulational rapture view can both be faithful to verse 10. And in that sense, we really don't need to argue about it. Um, and let me just say one more thing about the debate. In our denomination, the Evangelical Free Church of America, which, by the way, when we say evangelical free, we're not saying it like sugar-free. We're not, we're not free of evangelicalism here. No, we are, we are very evangelical here. Um, but in our denomination, we've decided not to divide over this issue of when the rapture will happen. We've agreed within our movement to be able to disagree and still maintain fellowship with each other. Because think about this. Wouldn't it be really sad if today we divided into two camps and said, okay, pre-trib rapture people over here, post-trib rapture people over here, and from now on you guys are going to worship at 9 o'clock and you guys are going to worship at 10.30. Wouldn't that be sad? I, th I think that would be a, a travesty. I, I don't think that this is an issue that we should divide over. I think there are other issues that we should divide over. Things like the necessity of faith in Jesus Christ. We're not going to hold another worship service for people who don't believe that they need Jesus. Uh, we're get, we'll invite them to recognize that they need Jesus, but we're, we're never going to agree to disagree on that issue. Or things like the Trinity, or the inerrancy of God's Word. Those are important essentials. But on this issue of the, the timing of the end times, uh, I have an opinion, um, but I, I actually decided that I, I'm not going to share with you my opinion today because I would rather pursue unity amongst all of us. I do have a view. You're free to ask me my view. I've told some of you already what it is. Um, but I would rather move on to highlighting some of the really important things that Revelation teaches us about, like what we see in verse 11, where Jesus says, I am coming soon. Again, isn't this wonderful? God has told us before it happens that Jesus Christ is coming again. According to Hebrews 9, Jesus came once to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself, and he's coming again, as it says in Hebrews 9, to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. So when it says soon in verse 11, we're supposed to remember that we are in the last stages of human history, and the next chapter is the one in which Jesus will come back. We don't know when that will happen, and it could be very soon. And Jesus' message for the people in the church of Philadelphia who had little strength and were facing persecution was for them to hold on to what they have. What did they have? They had Jesus. And if we have Jesus, we have enough. It's very similar to what was said in chapter 225 to the people of the church in Thyatira where it said, only hold on to what you have until I come. And this is encouraging to me because our lives can be very difficult. It can feel like we don't have the strength that we need. But if we hold on to Jesus, we have all that we need. He will get us through. And the fact that he's coming again should remind us that it will be worth it. Again, there's two days on my calendar, that day and this day. In light of that day, it matters how we live today. And we should use whatever strength we have to trust in Jesus. And then there are some awesome things that we see in verse 12 that he will give to those who overcome. Uh, he said that he will make him a pillar in God's temple. Now think about this. I, I read this in a, in a theology book this week, uh, so I can't take credit for it on my own, but it was a really neat thought. The people in Philadelphia, it, it says of them at first that they had little strength. But look what happens to them at the end. 
They're turned into a pillar in the temple of God, and they will never again leave it. They're transformed from people of little strength to an immovable pillar. Not because of their strength, but because of the fact that they had faith in Jesus Christ, and God will strengthen them for the rest of eternity to be with him forever. And it says that they will never leave God's temple. And that's good news. Now, to some people, that might sound like a bad deal. Like, oh man, is heaven just going to be an eternity-long worship service? I could think of better things to do. Uh, But don't think of it that way. The biggest blessing that we have in the Bible is the blessing of God with us. I did a whole sermon series on that last fall, uh, into the winter, I think. Uh, And the the point there was that the, the blessing of God with us is such an amazing blessing because if we have God, we have all that we need. So this... This idea of being in the temple of God and never leaving it, that is perfection. That is the goal of our lives, is that we would always get to be with God in his presence, with him taking care of us, and and yes, us worshiping him. And I believe that our worship will be a great delight when we see him for who he is face to face. And right now, we should practice by, by worshiping him and remembering him, that even if our heart may not fully be into it, that it's right for us to come before God and worship Him. So, right now we face difficulties, we struggle, feeling like we may not always have the strength that we need, but God will transform His people and bring us to be with Him forever. Jesus will put on His people the name of God, the name of the city of His God, and his own new name. And it's kind of like when a kid puts his name on a toy. That toy belongs to that kid. We belong to God. All of this is for those who overcome. And this word overcomes shows up in each of the seven messages to the seven churches. And and like I've been saying for five sermons in a row, I'll say it again here, the only way for us to overcome is to trust in the one who has already overcome by his perfect life, his death, and his resurrection. We don't have the strength that we need in and of ourselves. And and I fully admit that. I think that some people on the outside would call that weakness. I don't call it weakness. I call it reality. I don't have the strength that I need in and of myself to get through. And do you know what the proof of that is? If somebody outside would want to argue with me, if somebody on the outside would say, come on, I think I do have what it takes. Do you know what the, the simple solution to that debate is? Death. Okay, you've got the strength you need, prove it. Power over death, I want to see it. No one's done that yet, except Jesus. 1 John 5, 5. Who is it that overcomes the world? It's the question. Who has got the power that they need? Only he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. That's life. That's power. So the way I view this passage to the faithful people of the church in Philadelphia is that they had a hard road. They were persecuted and only had a little strength left. But they used what little strength they had to hold on to the word of Jesus and not deny his name and to keep his commands. They endured patiently. And all the while, God was watching over them, promising to protect them and to bring them to be with him forever. In the midst of our difficulties, we too often forget about the watchful care of God. We too often focus on our lack of strength. Or maybe we even get to this point where we think we have more strength than we actually have. But the truth is that the best road for us is to use whatever strength we have 
to keep walking with Jesus. Would you pray with me? God, thanks for laying it out here like this for us. That, uh, we know that life is difficult. You know that life is difficult. But we know that you have given us all that we need. And God, I pray that we would not trust in our own strength, but that we would use whatever strength we have to keep walking with Jesus, holding on to his word and his commands and not denying his name. God, we, uh, we pray that we would all overcome in Jesus Christ, that every one of us, by faith, would know Jesus as Savior and Lord and would keep walking with him. And God, we thank you for the many blessings that come for your children. Thank you for the blessing of being with you forever. God, I pray that we would be with you now, constantly walking around with Jesus by faith, strengthened by you in the power of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.